Welcome to the Bold Speak Podcast. I'm Anthony Creedon. Today on the podcast, we're going to close out our Overcome series with an in-depth look at shame, how it can have an incredible influence on our lives, and how talking about it might be the biggest step in overcoming it. And on The Wire, Ashley and I are going to discuss how the events at the Capitol reveal a frightening view of politics in America, and how maybe the best thing you can do to help has nothing to do with politics at all. All that as we give them the bold speak. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Bold Speak podcast. Uh, Glad you could be with us as we continue through this series of Overcome, uh, talking about how the gospel overcomes many of the things that we struggle with. And so far in the last two podcasts, we've dealt with fear and we've dealt with anger. Today, we're going to talk about shame. Uh, And shame is a really uh, difficult one, mainly because it it has a lot to do with the things that that we hide, uh, the things that are kind of deep inside. Uh, Joined uh, once again by my lovely wife, Ashley. Hello, my love. Hello. Um, She's going to help us as we sort of work through this. And if you haven't had a chance yet to to take a look at the blog, I would encourage you to do that. Um, This latest blog was written uh, by Ashley uh, dealing with the ideas of shame. And it it really covers a lot and a lot of the things that that we're going to touch on today and sort of expand on. So if you haven't had a chance to take a look at that, I would encourage you to do so. That's on our website, www.theboldspeak.com forward slash blog. And you can you can read that there. All right. So to, to get started here, I think, you know, like we have in the, the previous podcast, we have to really define what it is that we're dealing with. And, and there's a very helpful distinction that you made in the blog that I would love for you to talk about a little bit more um, here. And, and that's this distinction between shame and, and guilt. Um, tell me more about that. Yeah, I think, you know, in, in regards to shame or, or thoughts of shame or discussion of shame, Um, I I think a pretty common misconception of that is that shame and guilt are the same thing. Sure. Um, but they're not, you know, (laughs) (laughs) guilt is, guilt is an emotion that follows a mistake and and is often a a healthy, um, recognition that, you know, a, a particular behavior that we exhibited is, is not in line with our values. We screwed up. Sure. You know, um, I think guilt can be, guilt can be a change motivator in some ways of that, that was not in line with where I want to be as a person. And sure. I, I want to change that. So more like in line with like remorse for mm-hmm. something that you've done a recognition. Right. Okay. Right. Um, whereas shame, you know, guilt, guilt can say like, I, I made a mistake. Shame says I am the mistake. Mm, okay. Shame challenges our, our worth. Shame challenges our, um, our, our, our being almost, you right. know, it just, it challenges who we are. Sure. Um, I think it, it gets down to whether or not we're worthy of, of forgiveness, of love, of connection, of, um, the, you name it. <laughs> right. Um, it gets at our, our core feelings of inadequacy as human beings. Right. And the, all those things can really be a contributing factor factor to inhibiting relationships and relationship development. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, which can can really kind of break down a lot um, right. in, in our lives and cause even more problems. Right. 
Yeah, shame is a, a negative evaluation of self, right. whereas guilt is a negative evaluation of that particular behavior. Yeah, and that's that's a that's a very helpful distinction. I feel like when when we talk about shame, because now we're getting to the uh, really the, the the big issues of shame and and how it kind of seeps into our lives and, and causes all kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. And it's it's healthy to to acknowledge the the actions as being wrong it's healthy to to have a recognition that you know i shouldn't be involved in you know these maybe specific behaviors but mm-hmm. not allowing that to define you that's uh, that's critical right mm-hmm. and i think shame exhibits itself in in so many different levels mm. you know i mean shame could be from from the deepest darkest scandalous sin that you've committed you know right. and and you feel shame over that. And it's it's a constant, buried, deep sense of shame. Right. That, you know, that particular sin or whatever defines me. Sure. But it could be as simple as like, you know, I'm an artist. I'm a writer. I've I made a piece that nobody really likes. Mm-hmm. Does that define me as an artist? Am I a crappy artist now all of a sudden? Right, right, or, right. Or... Did I just make a piece that kind of sucked? You know, maybe I wasn't maybe I wasn't on that week or, you know, something that I wrote didn't resonate with other people. Sure. That doesn't make me a terrible writer. It doesn't make me a terrible artist. Right. Shame says it does. Right. Shame says you are inadequate. You are not a good artist. You are not, you know, because of that one particular moment of, well, crap, that, (laughs) that wasn't, you know, that wasn't a good piece. That wasn't a whatever. Right. Um, so shame can, can manipulate your mindset to thinking that you are inadequate, not that piece. Gotcha. So it, it it has a way of sort of extrapolating individual like events or, or comments of people or things like that Mm -hmm. into an kind of a holistic view of the self as I am, whatever this reaction was or, or whatever right. this thing was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. It, it has everything to do with where you put your self worth. Right. And yeah, self-value. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, and those are, I, I think, uh, two very helpful distinctions. Obviously the first being that, you know, this, this guilt and shame kind of concept, but, but yeah, it is also very helpful to, to realize that shame isn't necessarily tied to the big things. And, and I think sometimes we get, uh, caught in that line of thinking mm-hmm. like you know the, the shame issues that i'm dealing with are um over like big sins that i've committed and, right. and whatever and not really realizing that shame is also an issue where if, if someone has been maybe somewhat critical of something or um something didn't turn out the way that you thought it would it's not it's still not a reflection of the self right right um, well and because shame is so it hurts right? right shame hurts right shame is hard to feel um which again is why we heap all kinds of other much easier emotions on top of it and, and cover that up. We'll get to that a little bit more later, but it's, it's hard to feel it's, it's difficult. Um, it's often easier to disguise it as something else or to bury it. Um, Mm -hmm. but I make that, I make that distinction because, you know, it's easy to, to assume, well, because I haven't committed that big sin or that big scandal or, or whatever. Right, right. Um, I don't, shame doesn't apply to me. I right. haven't, I haven't felt shame. Right. Um, uh, that's a lie. Right. I, I mean, shame is, shame is probably one of the most basic human emotions. Right. Uh, we're all striving for connection. We're all striving for 
relationships right. for for love for worthiness um you know and and obviously in a, a messy sinful world there are a lot of things that challenge right. all of those core needs right um and rejection from other people can cause shame rejection in you know the workplace a family uh, anything like that um there's a lot of work cultures that that motivate based on shame. Right. There's a lot of schools that motivate based on right, shame. Right. And, and, and shame seems to, it, it seems to fester, right? Like, mm-hmm. like once it gets in, it kind of burrows itself into sort of the back of your mind and, and, and then starts to create this, um, pattern of decision-making right. that's uh, fueled by it. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's where it becomes, you know, particularly problematic. And, you know, and, and as we sort of addressed at, at the front and, and you know, I, and I think we've said this before in other podcasts, that, you know, as we're talking about fear, anger and shame, they all sort of like come together. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, it right. really is kind of three sides of the same thing. Right. Um, and yeah, a lot of times we use fear and anger to cover up our shame. Uh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and so I think there's, you know, there's a lot of those. And, and you talked about this, uh, you know, again, I think very well in the podcast, how the blog. Uh, yeah. In the blog. Yeah. Sorry. Um. <laughs> how the 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 part of the problem of shame is is kind of what it produces and you you spent some time tackling fear um mm-hmm. and and in the realities of fear that are are tied uh to shame um and i think that's a very helpful discussion um here so talk a little bit more about that um kind of the what how shame produces fear and what that fear looks like yeah absolutely um Again, kind of going back to our, our self-worth, if our self-worth is tied to things like, um, you know, acceptance from others or right. achievement um, in the workplace or, or life in general, mm-hmm. um, if it's tied to something like that, it's it's easy to then be afraid to truly and deeply engage in any of those things. Right. Um, you know, if our, if our self-worth is, is tied to what others think about us, we're going to be constantly evaluating well mm-hmm. what would somebody think about this what would right. you know and it's it's easy to shrink back in fear then in that case um you know and in in talking with you after the blog post i i was kind of thinking out loud as far as even just writing that blog post right had me wrestling with shame right it just in well what are people going to think about <laughs> me articulating shame. Right, I mean, right, right, right. you know, and, and what are people going to think about my writing? What are people going to yeah. think about? Well, you know, and, and even in these podcasts, it, there's a, there's a level of vulnerability that shame right. wants to cover up. Right. And that, you know, and, that and little voice, right. Yep, That's mm-hmm. kind of in, in the background. Like you sound like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you should stop now. <laughs> no one cares. Be quiet. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And, you know, the constant like, well, what if I sound dumb? What if I, you know, what if people think that I'm an idiot or whatever? Right. But that's, you know, vulnerability is so hard. Right. It's so difficult to be, to genuinely be vulnerable and to be real. Right. Um, and, and I think that's one thing that I've loved about this podcast is is our level of vulnerability and, sure. and forcing ourselves to be that. Yeah. Um, and, and it really is. I mean, I, I think people need to know that it, it, in many ways, it really is a forcing, like mm-hmm. we have to force it out of ourselves to, to deal with some of these difficult things. And 
and and say what needs to be said. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's one of those things. And <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more about Brene Brown's book again later. But she um, after her huge, huge TED talk, that's right. like top 10 in TED talks in general. Right. She says, I never even listened to it. And she calls it a vulnerability hangover. Right. And that is like the the most that is resonated with me so yeah. well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And because after each of these podcasts, after after posting something that I've written online or posting a piece of art or something like that, I feel that right. that vulnerability hangover. Right. right because right. I'm so afraid of, you know, what are people going to think? Right. What are and they that's shame. Say? Yeah, that's exactly what shame is. That's what shame does. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in the, the aspect of fear, you know, that you that you talked about, that it, it makes you kind of kind of recoil and, and mm-hmm. pull back. You know, another thing you said in, in, in the blog post is is kind of the or you can have sort of the opposite reaction to that. Right. There can be kind of that anger or, mm-hmm. or defensiveness where you. Um, you know, the, the best defense is a good offense. And so you just, you, you, you kind of blast out there, you project anger, um, or, or defensiveness as a means by which to kind of shift that, that feeling of shame onto someone else, Mm -hmm. right? Like if, 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 you know, when we talk about, you talked about with, with, uh, like shame culture and stuff, you know, in, in a place of work or whatever, if I can project that anger or defensiveness, um, out toward other people it just keeps the focus off of the the shame that I'm feeling. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have to be vulnerable if I force someone else into a position of vulnerability. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Or and, even just in, you know, you said in the workplace, but in, in a family setting. Yes. Of, you know, somebody has done something that, that hurt my feelings, mm-hmm. but that, that produces shame within me. It's easier than to, ignore you know it's easier to to put the other person down or you know than it is to feel the shame that that is within me you know whatever i did or whatever you did right caused a fear of disconnection within me or a fear of inadequacy within me or something whatever that may look like for you um it's easier than to just cause a fight or you know use use ugly words or use ugly whatever um than it is to feel that shame and to acknowledge that shame yeah well and again it's it's the whole you know thing we talked about last week with adam and eve where you kind of start shifting the blame and so you start Mm -hmm. pointing fingers at other people and other things Mm -hmm. as means by which sort of divert attention from yourself which is really just all in an effort to hide from it right right which is you know anger is easy yeah yeah, anger's yep it's anger feels powerful it does it does but but in 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 truth we're all we're all hiding right right mm-hmm. um we're all trying to avoid kind of the reality of there and and that's you know that's the i think the last really big problem with shame that we need to address here is is that that need to hide which is ultimately where it it ends up right yeah and again i just like with fear and anger hiding can look like an array of different things as well um from small scale to large scale Mm -hmm. um on on probably the simplest level of you know hiding parts of our personality from relationships or Mm. or choosing to not be totally real with with those who we love or who are around us um you know, those, those quote unquote embarrassing qualities that we may, sure. you know, we may feel shame because uh, 
maybe people will judge us for this or, or whatever. Right. Um, you know, we, we have what we'd call guilty pleasures, but right. they're like, okay, so, so you like that show. Uh, right, right, that's, right. that's who you are, right? right? You know, it doesn't need to be called a guilty pleasure. It's just, right. okay, so maybe it's kind of a not super popular show or maybe a little weird, but whatever. Like, right. you know, that's who you are. Right. But we, we tend to cover a lot of that stuff up. We tend sure. to hide um, that kind of a stuff or that kind of a stuff, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I like I have that makes me think of like when I was, you know, when I was in high school, um, you know, and, and I liked certain genres of music. But then, like, there'd be a song that came out by like the Backstreet Boys and I, I kind of dug it. But like, do you tell anybody about that? <laughs> right, like, right. I, I, I don't know. Do I <laughs> like you, you, you? I mean, obviously, that's a small scale. But but, you know, what I what you feel is that you hide that because of there's a sense of shame associated right, with right. it. What will other people think of me if I let them know that kind of digging this Backstreet Boys songs, you know, so you right. know, there are things like that on a on a micro scale that we may think insignificant, but I think in, mm-hmm. in the larger scale when we're looking at shame, I, I don't think they are. I think it's right. all sort of indicative of how shame tends to drive behavior. Right. Yeah, it's it's very. I mean, I, I hope you all who are listening to this are, are recognizing how prevalent of an emotion shame is. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You yeah. know, it's it's not just what we tend to think in those grand grand moments of, right. of big sin we we operate by shame in in probably more than half of our lives right <laughs> right well i mean that's and that's you know that's why and obviously you you should be able to tell right now we're pretty big Brené brown fans um just because of the way that she addresses this stuff and you know she writes this whole book um you know daring greatly on this mm-hmm. idea of shame and how shame has a tendency to control and you know, we talked about kind of the smaller scale stuff. She she does have this whole section where she talks about some of the larger scale things and mm-hmm. and how shame um, can can sort of drive a, a cultural reality and institutional realities. And um, so there's this this great quote um, Ashley's going to read uh, from from Brene's Brown's book, uh, Daring Greatly, that I think will help to to frame some of the ways that shame can really drive culture. Yeah, absolutely. So in this section, she's talking about. Um, cover-up culture um, and had just finished talking about a a culture of blaming as well. Um, So in this cover-up culture section, she says, when the culture of an organization mandates that it is more important to protect the reputation of a system in those in power than it is to protect the basic human dignity of individuals or communities, you can be certain that shame is systemic. Hmm. Money drives ethics and accountability is dead. Yeah. Gosh. That's uh. That's a sharp knife. Yes. Right. Like that, that, that cuts to the quick. I, you know, and, and we, we did this book, um, together as a, as a study, uh, to really kind of deal with the ideas of, of shame and, and stuff. Cause I think we both felt that there was just a, a sense of shame driving a lot of things. And, and this book opened up a lot to us. Um, and in particular, both of us having been in church work, um, mm-hmm. both of us having been in a situation and in situations where um, shame was a, a a part, a big part of things that were going on in our lives, I think there are some things that resonated with us. And I, and I think the first thing that really sort of came to our mind is is this this kind of idea of a cover up. And, and we're not necessarily talking about like a big cover up, like a big scandalous cover up. Right, right. E- even just the nature of the church saying like we're, we're really not going to confront the reality that 
we're just a bunch of sinners who are running this thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that becomes kind of part of the thing is we're, 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 we're sort of ashamed that we're a bunch of sinners that are running the church. Um, and that makes us afraid to admit that we are just a bunch of sinners <laughs> running the church. Right, right. Right. And that's just kind of what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, easy to talk about sin from the pulpit as a, an idea. Right. An abstract. Right. But but to genuinely get down from the pulpit and get down and dirty into your congregation and, right. and be with the people in their mess right. and address and, and help them with their sin is a, are two very different things. Right. Um, you know, I, I read that quote in, in the first time in reading this book and immediately I thought of the church. Right. Which is um, sad. Right? Yeah. But, I mean, because she goes on to say this is true in all systems from corporations, nonprofits, universities and governments to churches, schools, families and sports programs. Right. I mean, she she addresses. Uh, obviously, this is true everywhere. Right. Uh, you know, because uh, it's easier to cover up those things that we feel ashamed of than it is to address them. Right. Um, but in, in reading that and in, in the previous churches I've worked at and how much of this I saw. Mm-hmm my immediate thought after reading this quote was the church. Right. And, and it's the reaction of the church or the reaction of any institution. And she says this too, is, is like a, it's, it's a protection strategy, mm-hmm. right? Like we're, mm-hmm. we're trying to protect something or preserve something. And unfortunately, in many cases that, that shame that causes us to, to avoid these things or hide them or cover things up. It, it, it just ends up making it worse. Right. Right. Because the more we try to hide from it, the more disingenuine we seem to the outside world. And right. and who knows this? Right. It, it, you know, we, we have difficulty talking about it, but there's not a single person in the world who doesn't feel it. Right. Or who doesn't mm-hmm. know it. Um, so kind of our, our being open about it uh, and being honest about it feels like um, it's it's making us vulnerable to to problems in the future, but it's actually creating the problems. Um, right. A part of the problem. Because it creates a culture of we don't talk about our sins. We don't address right. that. We right. don't, you know, if we're struggling, we we keep it quiet because people don't need to know that. Right. It's not talked about as a as a norm within my church body or whatever. Um, so it's okay, so it's easier just to cover it up then. I don't struggle. I'm happy. I'm perfect. I live a social media life. Right. Well, and gosh, uh, you know, I think there's there's a fear of uh, the 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 word that I think when any Christian sort of hears it kind of rings in the back of their head and that's Mm -hmm. hypocrite. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so we're so afraid of, of coming across as hypocritical that um, we come across as hypocritical. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> that it right, it, it right. kind of makes us hypocritical because, you know, and, and this is something that I've addressed on this podcast before, um, something that I think has been a big thing for me, simply because I feel like it it's a big hindrance to to who we're called to be as the church. And and that's, you know, that this idea that all Christians are hypocrites. Mm-hmm. I, I don't agree with that. Right. I, I don't agree with that assessment simply because of the fact that the idea of a hypocrite, right? A hypocrite. um, comes from this Greek word Hippocrates, which which simply means to be an actor, right? Portraying something that is not true to who you genuinely are. Mm-hmm. As the Christian church, if if we have a healthy acknowledgement of sin, I think that is credible. That's not hypocritical. Right. It just means we recognize the world as it is, right? That mm-hmm. again, we're we're all just a bunch of sinners trying to to do the best we can, and mm-hmm. and 
and live in the grace of God that we talk about so often. Right. So when we... We're not a part of the church to, to pretend that we're not sinners. We're a part of the church right. because we are and we need Jesus. Well said. Uh, exactly. I, you know, when I think so, when we when we try to cover stuff up or we try to avoid things because we need or we feel like we need to present ourselves as as holy and blameless and without mm -hmm. sin and without problem, um, that just creates uh, an outside world's view of us that says you're just you're you're, you're not with us. You're you're right. not honest. You're not um, you have nothing for me. Right, right. And, and those churches that seem to portray that stronger than others, maybe I, I, right. can, I can see why people would turn their backs and say, right. you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. Yep. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You're not wrong. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, to, to label an, an entire body of people, uh, all Christians as hypocrites. Yeah. I think that that's completely unfair. Right. Um, but I think in a lot of cases it, it's true. Right. You know, in, in a lot of different places, yeah, people are acting hypocritical. Right. And the funny thing is that it's people aren't acting hypocritical in the way that they think people look at them as hypocrites. Right. Because people <laughs> people think that, like, they're looking at me as a hypocrite because I talk about not sinning and I sin. That's not why people think you're a hypocrite. Right. They think you're a hypocrite because because you don't talk about your sin. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so it, it becomes a bit of a negative cycle and, mm -hmm. and a bit problematic there where I think if we would just be open and honest about the fact that, yeah, we sin, we struggle. Mm -hmm. If the church would start to be comfortable with the fact that, yep, our leadership, they sin, they right. screw up. Mm -hmm. um, we all sin and screw up. This is not about perfection. It's about recovery. It's about. Right gospel it's about forgiveness it's about life it's right and in mm -hmm. all of these things if we would be more open it's about and honest life together yeah, yeah. And, it's and and we're not advocating for you know walk into church on sunday morning and, and list off your sins to everybody <laughs> right. that you see Airy you know dirty that's, that's and, not yeah right. that's not what we mean when we when we say share your sins with others right. um you know i having those close groups of people, those close communities. Mm -hmm. Um, even Jesus set that as an example, you right. know, with, with his disciples. Um, he, he wasn't close to every single person that he ever encountered. He right. had, he had 12 people that he could be vulnerable with, that he chose to, to be vulnerable with. Um, you know, and, and having those communities around us, mm -hmm. um, and now is, is so critically important, you know, to right. share our struggles with, to share our joys, our hardships, our, right. our whatever, um, to have genuine, real relationships of this is me. This is who I am. These are my struggles. These are these right. are my joys. Yeah. And, and I think that's it's what we're really trying to do is kind of strike that balance between, um, you know, when we say that the church shouldn't cover things up, we're 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 saying the church needs to address the sin that's there in a healthy and productive manner. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it doesn't mean either extreme. It doesn't mean don't address it and pretend it's not there. Right. Mm -hmm. D don't do that. Right. Um, address it. But you also don't have to make every struggle and everything that's going on public because sometimes that can be more damaging right. and, and now heaping shame upon someone who's struggling. And if mm -hmm. we genuinely want recovery, if, if that's the goal, right, which it always is right. The, the goal is always recovery. The goal mm -hmm. is always right to, to restoration. Re yeah. Restoration and redemption. 
then we need to do what's best in that scenario. So there's, there's got to be a balance there. But I think most importantly, we have to make sure that we are addressing the sin and, and admitting and acknowledging mm-hmm. the sin that's in our lives. Um, so to, to kind of move on from there, I think, you know, let's let's take a look at there's one particular Bible narrative that I think can be super helpful to us um, as we go forward here. And that's, you know, from John four. And this it's the the interaction that Jesus has with this woman at the well in Samaria. And I, I, I don't want to necessarily go into a lot of the details or, or whatever, because I think um, there's a lot you could do with this particular right. section in the Bible. But I think there's a couple of things, you know, first of all, you know, Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman at the well. It, it says she's coming at the sixth hour, right? Which means it's around noon. So it's a, it's a hot part of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the indication of there is she's, she's genuinely trying to avoid something, right? Like she, she's coming there to draw water, uh, at a time when no one else is going to be there right. um, because she's she's struggling with something there. Right. Jesus addresses her, um, approaches her from a position of of dignity and doesn't kind of avoid um, the, the the interaction there. And that kind of communicates something important to her. Right. And so it, it, you have this interaction where he's like, you know, give me something to drink. She's a bit surprised about that. And and he says, you know, if you would have only asked, I would have given you this kind of living water. And, and that intrigues her. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then she says, OK, well, I, I, I would love this this water that you speak of. Right. And so um, this is from uh, John chapter four, um, where Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, the woman in, in response says to him, sir, give me this water. Which sounds like, you know, oh, I want this living water. That sounds great. But then what she says next really shows what her intentions are. Right. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Mm-hmm. Right. So what she thinks is like, this is solving a problem for me. Right. Right. Like I, I keep coming here at this hot part of the day to avoid this problem. But to if cover you, up. But <laughs> if you have something that can help me cover more. Right, right. If, cool. I can, if I can genuinely like hide and just avoid this altogether, that would be great. Right. And so. The, the fascinating thing about this particular narrative is that Jesus response then is to draw out the shame that's causing the problem, mm-hmm. which I think is fascinating. Right. So Jesus responds by saying, go call your husband and come here, which is kind of an odd response. Right. Mm-hmm. At, at first, you're like, right. what's going on? The woman answers him. I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And so Jesus recognizes that she's hearing this like living water that never runs out as an opportunity to allow her shame to sort of take over and avoid the situation altogether. Mm -hmm. His response is is to name it. Right. Right. To to call it out and say, Mm Look, let's get to the real. And he's not even gentle about it. No, I mean, he's, he's just not. like, yep, you've screwed up five times and right. you're on to your sixth right now. Right. You know? It's like super <laughs> blunt. And, right. and 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 so the fascinating thing is, is that he addresses that and, and her response when she hears that is to go, all right, clearly you're a prophet, right? Like right. clearly something's going on here mm-hmm. because you can see into some of the, the deep, dark stuff here. Right. That I'm trying to hide. Right. And and then she transitions to another aspect of her shame, right? Because she starts to deal with cultural shame. She then says in response, right, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. 
So now she's drawing the distinction between the Jews and the Samaritans. Mm -hmm. And she's saying, you, the Jews, are, are looking at the Samaritans and saying, you guys aren't worshiping right. You don't worship in the right place. You're supposed to be worshiping in Jerusalem. You worship here on this mountain, on this hill. That's wrong. So now she starts to deal with cultural shame. Right. Like you have shamed us as a people, the Samaritans, you Jews, mm -hmm. by saying we don't worship in the right place. And then Jesus' response addresses that shame mm -hmm. and says, you know what? Here's the thing. You guys have, have heard from the Jews that it's about, you know, where you worship on, you know, in Jerusalem or on this mountain. I'm here to tell you none of that matters. None of that's important mm -hmm. because the day is coming and the day has come. We're going to worship in spirit and truth. And, and that means the worship is going gonna, is gonna to come from you. And, and you need to realize that's the way it's it's supposed to be. So in this interaction with this woman, he's addressing her personal shame and her cultural shame mm -hmm. that has been so pervasive. And, and it seems to or appears to be on the basis of what we've get, been given in the narrative has been driving the decisions that she's been right. making in her mm -hmm. life. Um, so that it's, you know, to me, that's that's it's it's a very interesting story when we're talking about addressing shame and, and, and how you solve these problems about shame. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the first I mean, her, thing, her whole perspective at the end of, of that section is changed. Right. I mean, her, just the way that she carries herself, the way that she, you know, she, she goes off and talks to people right. about this Jesus that she met, you know, and, and it's fascinating that, addressing it and, and recognizing it and talking about it and realizing that you're forgiven for it, how much that can release you right. from it and genuinely bring change. And that's, mm -hmm. that's something that I thought you addressed so well in that blog post. you know, when you talked about the solutions and the first thing that you, you mentioned is, is naming it. Mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit more about that. What, what is that strategy? What's the kind of the essence of that strategy? Yeah. Um, you know, just, practicing developing shame resilience it mm, yeah it starts by talking about it it mm -hmm. starts by addressing it when you feel it acknowledging it um rather than heaping other emotions easier to feel emotions on top of it and and lashing out or right. hiding or right. or whatever you know you name it um being apathetic or any of the number of problems that we could heap on top of it rather than doing that to to talk about it to address it um and like I said, it's hard to feel, but, but the more that you talk about it, the more that you address it, it, right. it gets a little bit easier each time. Right. Um, you know, and, and to go back to Brene Brown, she mentions in this book, like the idea of, of actually calling it something, mm -hmm. actually naming it. Mm -hmm. Um, she calls it her gremlins. Um, right. you know, so for example, the gremlins are telling me this right now, but I know that that's not true. Right. And I need to fight that. Right. You know, and whether it's in in a discussion with a, someone in, you're in relationship with or whether it's in a workplace setting or, or wherever it is, right. whatever it is that you're feeling shame from um, addressing it and acknowledging that that's not true. Right. Right. And, and the more you do that, the, the more you get comfortable in that space of, mm -hmm. of vulnerability. And that's the, right. the second thing you said about kind of practicing vulnerability. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and being open to um 
it kind of continuing that experience. You know, it's mm -hmm. a lot like other times we've talked about conflict and, you know, it's about touches. You know, we, we think the way to to overcome conflict is to avoid it. But the way to overcome conflict is actually to find healthy ways of actually addressing right. it. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability works the same way. Um, right. Being open in relationships, dealing with shame does not mean avoidance strategy. It means right. being vulnerable and, and open Doing to shame. Doing it and yeah. recognizing it and, you know, addressing that with the person that you're feeling vulnerable with or, yeah. you know, on, on the simplest level, back to my example at the beginning of, of feeling afraid to share art or, or writing mm -hmm. or whatever. Shame says don't because people might laugh at you. Right. Vulnerability says do it anyway. Right. Practice that. Right. Do it. And the more that you do it, the easier it will get. Right. Or if it doesn't get easier, you're, you're still doing it and you're right. still living the way that you're called. Right. Well, and it, it builds up, uh, you know, in, in addition to that kind of resilience and also builds up a, a, a feeling of my worth isn't tied to this particular exactly. experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I my worth isn't tied to what people feel about my art, because regardless of what they feel about my art, it's it's my expression of things that I think are important and, mm -hmm. and dear to me. Right. Um, and that's another thing you, you'd mentioned in the blog, this idea that, you know, we, we, it, it puts us in a position to evaluate where our worth comes from. Right. It's not from those gremlins. It's not from those voices. It's it's from God. Mm -hmm. And being able to not only understand that and know that, but to feel that from other people. Right. right. To, to be in a space, you know, and, and one of the big things we talked about with Bold Speak is this idea of gospel living. And, you know, gospel living is is a space where, you know, even if someone doesn't like a particular art piece that you do or, you know, a podcast that that we release or, you know, something I do or any of those things, mm -hmm. um, the space to be like, you know, but I, but I applaud you for doing it. That's that's mm -hmm. fantastic. You right. know, I, and, and being open and vulnerable, that kind of creating of safe spaces for people to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, opens up those opportunities to realize that my value and worth doesn't come from those places, but right. but is rooted. It doesn't somewhere come else. from the superficial. Right, right. It's it's kind of rooted in God. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, we are we are immensely loved by the God of the universe. <laughs> that's, right. That's huge. That is <laughs> that's, huge. That's, I mean, that's where our worth comes from, right. and, and recognizing that it doesn't come from what people think about me. It doesn't come from what people think about my outfit today, or right. or this piece of art, or this podcast, or or whatever. Right. It doesn't come from my performance at work. It comes from God, right? The, the God of the universe, right? Well, and that you know that makes me think of and and I'd like your your thoughts on this as I'm kind of thinking through these different solutions. It makes me think, you know, is the way that the church handles shame, it seems to run counter to a lot of it these does. things, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Um, don't talk about it. Right. Don't be vulnerable. Right. Um, I mean, Jesus loves you, but that's a platitude, not a, a right. truth. Right. Um, I, Jesus loves you, which is good because I can't right now. Right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to get down in the dirt, in the mud, in the hole with you and and act like I love you. So right. I'm just going to tell you that Jesus loves you and, and walk away. Right. Um, um, yeah. And that's 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 problematic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, if, if there's any space, I think, where these qualities and solutions should be exhibited, it's it's in the church, yep. you know, an openness to speak about raw sin, not, mm -hmm. not the, you know, platitudes or the kind of safe sins, but, but raw, real sin, 
um, being vulnerable and open about the fact that that's a real struggle for a lot of people, including the church, including leadership in the church, including everyone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then recognizing that our worth, your worth, everybody's worth doesn't depend and isn't relying on these sins or how people look at those sins, but on something bigger. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, that's critical. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm reminded right now of, um, conversations with a friend that I've had, um, who teaches at Concordia, um, and in, in some difficult moments of work and and whatever, um, we'd, we'd discuss that. And, and Mm -hmm. he'd say to me, I don't mean to heap spiritual platitudes on you, but, you know, but recognize this or, or whatever, recognize that Jesus loves you. Remember his love for you. And, and my response to him was always, it's not a platitude if you're you're the one doing it. Right, like right, you're, right, you know, right, right. it's, it's important to, to know that, but at the same time, you're, you're sitting here with me right, in the mess right, and, and helping me through this work problem or whatever. Right. Um, you know, and, and it, it's no longer a platitude if you right. use it in a moment where you're doing it. Right. And well, and that's, 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 I think very, very helpful distinction in terms of thinking of, you know, we're not saying the words don't matter, but we're saying right. is that the, the words without the actions mean yes. very mm-hmm. little. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, if you're, if you're loving someone, if you're actively in a process of caring for somebody and then saying, Jesus loves you. Right. That, that, that now that means connects. something. Now yes. it hits. Um, and, and that's kind of what we're after. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, gosh, I, I feel like we could go on forever on this topic. Right. Um, but, uh, well, and I also want to say too, in regards to recognizing your worth, um, you know, Satan doesn't want you to know that. Yeah. Satan doesn't want you to recognize where your worth comes from or that right. you are worthy of anything. You know, and, and I'm I'm certainly not saying that shame comes from Satan. We we do a heck of a good job right. doing it all on our own. <laughs> right. Um but but that does mean that he knows our shames. Right. Right. He he knows those points of shame, those points of of fear within us. Mm-hmm. And he's very quick and very skillful at pointing them out to us. Right. Um so I that's a kind of a distinction that I was thinking about this week, too, just that, you know, our, our shame doesn't come from Satan necessarily, but right. it, he's certainly he sure good at pointing it, use out. it Yeah. You know, so the more that we talk about it, too, and the more that we kind of rely on our communities and, and our people that we love around us mm-hmm. helps to fight that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, well, to, c- to be in a space of prayer with other people, right. to, to be in a space of relying on God's power together with your community, together right. with those people that you can trust with those shames, um, not only combats the shame itself, but combats the devil who reminds them. Right. Reminds well, you of them. Yeah, because shame operates in the dark. Right. right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's where it's the most successful. Mm-hmm. And, and naming it and being vulnerable and open brings it into the light. And now it's right. able to be addressed and and if there's one thing we know mm-hmm. about kind of the way Satan operates, it's, it's not in the light. Right. Um, right. It's, it's in the dark. And so that's, it's, that's super helpful in terms of a strategy of combating shame mm-hmm. so that it doesn't rule our lives and right. doesn't influence us in a way that helps us and kind of moves us to, to negative decisions. So, right. um, 
man yeah great stuff i you know and in this uh this caps off this overcome series and you mm-hmm. know i i think you know obviously personally i want to thank you for for joining us for yeah, the series absolutely. and and i mean the, this isn't the fun. yeah this isn't the end of ashley you'll hear her on uh, on other episodes <laughs> and yeah no this is uh this is only not the, only on the podcast but <laughs> yeah no um <laughs> this is not the end of ashley <laughs> this, is not, this is not your end um yeah but no this is you'll hear ashley on on other podcasts and things too um especially on the the series that we have coming up um which is going to be dealing with uh, defending hope and the mm-hmm. importance of hope and and claiming hope as a, a primary part of who we are right. um, as Christians, as humans. Um, and I'm really excited for that one. So, and it's important to address things like fear, anger, and shame right. before we can tackle something like hope. Like hope, yeah, absolutely. Those are such toxic things that hope killers. Kinda, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, um, so again, thanks for joining me for the series, and and uh, we look forward to jumping into the next series here in a little bit. Um, so. Uh, thanks for listening and, and thanks for um, kind of walking this journey of uh, the gospel, overcoming fear, anger, and shame. Uh, now we're going to transition into uh, some current topic stuff is this the whole incident with uh, the state capitol and, and things like that. And um, it really brought out some things that I think are important for us to discuss and something that I think connects in, in many ways to a lot of the things that we've been dealing with fear, anger, and shame here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to address those things on this edition of The Wire. Wire. So the whole world watched as a group of demonstrators in support of President Donald Trump uh, took the Capitol um, and there's a lot about that that I think uh, we want to address or at least think through. Um, as Ashley and I talked about it sort of in the wake of it, there was a term that kept coming to my mind, um, which was megalomania. Uh, if you're not familiar with megalomania or the idea behind it, it's just the idea that you have a self-inflated self-worth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about the ideas of shame that you kind of bury your worth and, and see your worth um, as coming from the, the critique of other people, uh, megalomania is sort of the opposite side of that coin where you believe your worth to be far greater, um, than it is and sort of take on a godlike status. Mm-hmm. Um, and it appears on the, the modern political stage, whether you're talking about people who are in support of, of Donald Trump, uh, or people are in support of, um, other candidates, um, president, uh, Biden, who will, you know, take over here. I think the American political stage has gotten to a point where we sort of idolize and and make into celebrity um, these these politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that you read an article recently um, that kind of dealt with that. Yeah, in, in kind of a really weird, kind of roundabout <laughs> way. Yeah, yeah. But um, it was written by somebody who's who's British, and she um, it was like a list of things that she found to be strange Mm. um, in America. Yeah. And she, first of all, was talking about all of the, the number of different choices we have to, of things to buy within the grocery store. Um, Mm, And this particular thing she was talking about was cereal. Um, (laughs) She's like, why on earth would you need that many different types of cereal? They're all made of sugar and pretty much tastes the same. Right. Um, But she also noted that there were, a number of celebrity sponsored cereals. Right. And her point here was why? Right. (laughs) Why are celebrities telling me to buy cereal? Why are celebrities infiltrating even the, the most mundane of my decisions? Right. Right. Um, and 
right? Well, like, I think the fact of the matter is idolatry. Uh, I mean, right. we, we need have to have somebody within that position of of power in our lives, right? Um, that that we hold as uh, either a helper of here's how I make my decisions, even the most mundane and stupid as picking out a cereal, right? You know, or or whatever that may look like. Um, right. Your opinion is everything to me, so I'm gonna. Right, LeBron, that. Le- LeBron James told me to eat this cereal, so nom nom nom. Right, like, <laughs> right, I'm going right, to eat yeah. this cereal. Um, but yeah, does it does it that really? That was actually the picture she used was LeBron James, <laughs> was LeBron James. On a, a box of cereal. <laughs> yeah, like so so yeah. What, what does LeBron James have to say about my cereal choice? And it, and and the 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 frightening thing that we sort of talked about in relationship with that is that it actually has nothing to do with cereal, but the level of influence that somebody right. who has been put in that position in our lives has mm-hmm. is is frightening. And I, I think what we saw at the Capitol. Um, was exactly that. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump has, has become a bit of a caricature of himself. Um, and and the kind of rabid ferocity that people carry in their worship and idolatry mm-hmm. of him. Or ha- of political candidates in general. In general. Ha- as if they're the savior of the, the nation. Right. Uh, because I would say, you know, it, it, there's a lot of people who are sort of quick to point out the, the sort of fanaticism that surrounds Donald Trump. I would say there is an equal level of fanaticism on the other side um, for, against him or against him or exactly. And, and so candidate. right. And, and so part of the thing here is, is, you know, the idolatry that comes with that. And, and I personally think, and, and we've had a conversation with this uh, or about this as well, that the best way I think to handle this kind of political idolatry um, is is in no way political at all. Right. It has nothing to do with politics. In fact, what it has to do with is is setting down your phone or keyboard um, and, mm-hmm. and, and genuinely engaging with people on the topic and, and connecting with them. Um, asking, you know, what's going on? How, how are you feeling about all this? Right. Um, kind of what are the, the fears and emotions and struggles that are kind of going on mm-hmm. here behind the scenes that are, are putting us in these positions? Right. Um, I mean, your, your Facebook post about it doesn't help anybody. Right. We all heard about it. We all saw what happened. We right. saw it on the news. We, we already get inundated with news articles. We, right. we don't need your opinion on Facebook, too. Right. And to 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 see something like that gives you a sense or a feeling that, you know, this is a horrible thing. And then on social media, it's a bunch of people reiterating. This is horrible. This is horrible. This is horrible. This right, is horrible. Right. We know that. Right. What, what, what we need is is genuine care. Right. And engagement and comfort and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I think part of the problem is the machine continues to be fed and mm-hmm. and you know i get a sense that in some cases you know megalomania becomes a bit infectious right, because when right. you see somebody who thinks so much more of themselves in an effort to combat it you feel like you have to overcome that by maybe being even bigger than they are mm-hmm. um and it becomes a bit of a teeter-totter and, and so right. maybe the best way to deal with it is disengage from that specifically and, and deal with the realities and the, uh, the emotions and, and the things that are going on um, just right in front of you w- right. within the community that you live. Um, not that there's anything wrong with, you know, making statements. Some people need to make those statements, right? right. And mm-hmm. Pastors and people who represent um, institutions or places where people need to hear, mm-hmm. wh- what do I need to be thinking about this? Right. Um, mm-hmm. But because in, in some ways those helped others to process. Right. Exactly. Um, but I think the far more constructive way to, to overcome these things and to deal with these things is to, you know, 
again, set down the phone, set down the keyboard and engage, and love, your <laughs> love your neighbor, engage with the community around you. And, and let's focus on what the real focus of politics is intended to be. Mm-hmm. And that's the people. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bold Speak podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, connect with us online on our website, www.theboldspeak.com, and on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at forward slash theboldspeak. Uh, like, subscribe, share, make sure you engage with us. We would love to hear from you. Also make sure that as you subscribe, you stay connected to get all the latest episodes and things that are coming up. Really excited about this next series on defending hope and hope you can join us. Until next time, everyone. Thanks so much and keep living the bold speak. Oh,